0: it starts with that line that's so important. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the world is broken? And the response is, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Doesn't the shadows seem so dark, so many ways, so many times, so much brokenness around us? I've been Sensing this, um, more I think than ever before, uh, getting old, getting soft, having kids, I don't know what it is, but uh, sort of sensing this about myself. I, I, I opened uh, BBC this week, and uh, this, was the, this was the front page I was greeted with. I, I don't know if there's a happy thing up here. I don't think so as I look around it. Um, But as we open up the news and we see how broken things are, you know, have you thought about why there's so much bad news out there? Like, you turn on the news, you get 80, 90% bad news. You might get 10% feel good, things that are nice. You know why that is? It's because we like to click on bad stories more than we like to click on good stories. It isn't that the world is just full of all evil all the time, but. Not only is it full of all kinds of horrible things, as you can see, but that's the thing that we want to click on. That's the thing that we want to know about. And what I realized as I was looking at this front page is the more horrible the story is, the more interested I am on the details. Right? We're so broken. And we just want to continue to fill our minds and our hearts with this same kind of darkness. It's so... Deep And I love that song that we sang because it gives such hope. The song, uh, again and again, talked about who is worthy to open the scroll. Who is worthy to open the scroll? Now that might be obscure to some of you if you're a guest here today or maybe you're not as familiar with Scripture. It comes from the last book of our Bible, the book that is called Revelation. And in Revelation... John, who walked with Jesus, who was present, we think, at his crucifixion. John, who was uh, so deeply tied to Jesus, is taken into the throne room of God and given a vision of how, how things are going to begin to wrap up. How is God going to bring this mess to a conclusion? And Revelation is full of symbols, and so, one of the symbols is this scroll. This scroll is brought out before the very throne of God, before these terrifying, terrifying beasts with eyes within and without, and these seraphim who are these burning, serpent like beings flowing around the, the throne of God, crying out, Holy, Holy, Holy. All of this, a scroll is brought out. And There is a realization that all of heaven comes to in one moment. No one is worthy to open it. Which means this is going to march on and on and on. And there's no conclusion. There's no kingdom. There's no wrap up. And let somebody is able and worthy to bring it all to a conclusion. To really set forth upon earth a kingdom of justice. And so what we read here in the text of Revelation is this. John falls upon his face and he weeps and he weeps. Because no one no one was worthy. And then stepping into the moment is a, an elder who lays his hand upon John and says to him, do not weep because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll. And then we have this moment where as he is is weeping on his face and the elder is comforting over him and telling him that the lion of the tribe of Judah is going to bring it all to a conclusion. And if you're going to pick an animal to conclude everything, and a lion is an appropriate one, right? I mean, king of the beasts, that's a a good... And John lifts his eyes, but instead of seeing a lion, what does he see? A slain lamb. And as he sees this lamb looking as if he had been slain, all of heaven erupts in praise. You are worthy to take the scroll. You are worthy to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them. You have made us to be a kingdom and priests for our God. And they will reign in the earth forever. Brothers and sisters, today is a day of celebration. Because today, like every other Sunday, we remember Christ is risen. And because he is risen, we are redeemed. We have a future and a hope There's a beautiful passage that clues us in on all that God was going to do, and it's found in a book called Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, written, we can quibble about dates, but let's just say roughly about 600 years before Jesus shows onto the scene, Isaiah is writing a kind of poetic epic, describing these strange and puzzling events. And he begins by telling us about a servant that is going to come from God. And the servant, he says this, he says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring gospel, who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. So Isaiah is trying to draw us into this image, this image of a messenger, of course you remember, In ancient times, they didn't have uh, cell phones and texting and all these other things. And so you had to get your message from a runner, somebody who would run from one place to another. You can imagine the feet of the runner, right? Who is not wearing Nikes, who is maybe wearing sandals, maybe not. The bruised and broken feet of the one upon the mountain who is running. And where is he running? He's running to Jerusalem. The city of Zion, the city of the great king, the city that has a relationship with God that no other city in all of the nations, in all of the history of the world has ever had. Zion. But Zion is in ruins. It has been broken to pieces by the nations around. It has been sold into destruction because Zion forgot that God called them to holiness. And that God called them to justice. And they forgot both of these things. And so, and this is important information, important detail. You remember how often Jesus says, I have not come into the world to judge the world. You remember that? And so we like to say to other people, what? Don't judge me, Right? And what we mean by that is this. We mean, you know, don't think poorly of me. Don't think less of me. Don't think that I'm a, a, don't, don't, don't put me on a, on a, on your own level or on some level that you have fictitiously in your mind. Jesus is not coming to say, I'm not telling you what to do, you know, do whatever you want. If, Jesus isn't doing that, right? Jesus is not bringing judgment of death. He's not bringing that final moment when God says, I'm making things right and you can either get in line or you can fall to the wayside. He's simply saying that that there's a moment that that will happen, but right now, a moment has opened up. A door has been opened up. A door we might call salvation that you could run through if you wished. That you could set your sights upon the will and working of God. And that by doing this, you could come into a new and living relationship. The words that we read right here might be proclaimed over you. That over you and your people, peace, good tidings, salvation could be spoken. How beautiful are the feet that brought good news. But even the word salvation is sort of abstract the way that we throw it around. To be saved. What does it mean to be saved? I have a friend right now. Kind of a hero of the faith of mine, who is in a hospital. His heart stopped working, so for a, about a month and a half, maybe two months, he had a non-functioning heart and was on the the transplant list. And last week, at the end of the week, he was given a new heart. And uh, my friend Jim, uh, when he was told this, wept bitterly, for though family that had lost a loved one, but he was saved. What does saved mean? Does it mean you get to show up to church comfortably? Looking good? Y'all look really good today. What does saved mean? It means you are going to die. And you have been given life. You are going to be judged. And now you've been declared innocent. Your everything was on the line. And now you are saved. Is that your experience of Jesus. Because it should be. It should be. This is good news. It reminds us this ancient word, this prophecy, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. News that we need. News that says... Your sins are forgiven, news that says all that you've done and all that you've hidden and all the shame and all of the garbage that is welled up that you keep locked away and no one else knows about but spills out and so everyone else knows about it. As Isaiah tells this epic poem of the one who comes to bring good news, the poem takes this strange and surprising dark turn. We've heard beautiful words about salvation and hope. And then all of a sudden we are told of the servant this, that he will be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, that the punishment that brought us peace is on him. In his wounds we are healed, because we, like sheep, have wandered away. Can I get a witness? Each of us has turned to our own way. Is it true? And so the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And what a strange and puzzling message and word we are told here in this, this poem, because it seems now like, okay, well, what what's left now? What's... The servant is gone. The servant is dead. All we maybe are forgiven, but is there hope beyond the grave? What, what, what happens next? And then all of a sudden, at the end of this poem, we are given a new word. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. How is that going to happen? By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And will bear their iniquities, and therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. I mean, what a mysterious thing to be said! We just heard that the servant is about to die; that the servant does, in fact, bear iniquities; that he dies; that he receives all of this this punishment. And then all of a sudden, the servant is alive, and not only is he alive, but he is given a place among the great. He is given words of reigning and ruling. What is happening? This is so puzzling that even as Jesus says again and again and again to his disciples and to his enemies, he says, it is written in the scriptures that the Messiah must die and rise after three days. And he says it over and over and over again. And no one believes him. No one is sure. They keep reading these passages and they're not sure what to do with this. But as we know, upon what we call Good Friday, Jesus is indeed crucified. He does bear all of the vicious evil of humanity. And yet how beautiful are the feet of those who bear good news. For up from the grave he arose, triumphing over our ancient enemies of sin and the devil and death. For he is the Lord of glory He is the king of kings. He is the beginning and the end. He is the A and the Z. He is the son of God. He is the savior of the world. He is God in flesh. He is everything. How beautiful are the feet. And so the prophet Isaiah, speaking from the voice of God and the voice of the servant, gives us great hope. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace, for you will not be humiliated. And instead, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy buy wine and milk without money. And without cost. And what's beautiful about this text here from Isaiah, written 600 years before Jesus was born, is that it is actually the final words, some of the final words we get from Jesus at the very end of our Bible in Revelation 22, when the Lamb is calling out, and the Spirit is calling out, and the bride, the kingdom of God, is calling out, and it says to anyone who would hear, Come and buy. Come and drink. Says, Come, you who are thirsty, come and drink without price. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life come. And so we receive an invitation in Jesus. In his death and in his resurrection, this beautiful invitation to transformation, the God of all the universe. One of the lines that we sing: Does the Father truly love us? He does. He does. And so the prophet in his epic poem offers a kind of invitation, if you will. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him when he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and that he will have mercy upon them and to our God who will freely pardon What an important moment. What an important word. What an incredible invitation. And what a dire warning as well. Seek the Lord while he may be found, which indicates what? He may not always be findable. Seek the Lord while he is near, which implies what? He might not always be near. That there are moments in our lives where we can't take it back. You ever done that? You ever put your foot in your mouth so, like, so deep? Right? So deep. You're like, I really need to take that one back. But there are no takes backs, right? There are no take backs in life and sometimes. And in our religious life, this is true as well. And so he warns us. With warning of fear, but also rejoicing in hope. He says, Let the wicked forsake their ways because of judgment. Sure, sure, sure. But because the wickedness corrupts, this is why Jesus had to die. This is why he had to come. This is why he had to redeem us because we continue to walk in wickedness. And if we've been redeemed by him, changed and transformed by him, why would we walk in wickedness again? What does darkness have to do with light? What does good have to do with evil? What does justice have to do with injustice? What does God have to do with the wicked ways of our wicked world? And so we are hearing a message coming forth from the grave, from Jesus himself, who is now ascended to the right hand of the Father in invitation. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, because there is no cost. I want to do something different as we kind of begin to head towards an ending. I want to share with you a portion of a sermon. So I didn't write this. This is about 1,700 years old. It was written um, somewhere in the mid to late 300s by this man. This is John Chrysostom. Chrysostom is a hard word to say. Uh, In Greek, uh, in English, it means golden-mouthed. He was quite the orator. This actually is a mosaic uh, that we have in, uh, that's in Constantinople. It's a thousand years old. And he wrote this sermon, and this sermon actually still today is probably being recited uh, in our Orthodox and Eastern churches, but it's so beautiful. I wanted to share it with you. And in a second, there'll be some audience participation. John Chrysostom says this. Our master is gracious, and he receives the last, even as he receives the first. He has mercy upon the last, and he cares for the first. To the one he gives, and to the other he is gracious. He both honors the work and praises the intention. So enter all of you, therefore, into the joy of our Lord, whether first or whether last. To receive your reward. O rich and poor, one with another, dance together. O you ascetics and you negligent, celebrate the day. You that have fasted and that you that have feasted, rejoice today. The table is rich laden. Feast royally, all of you. The calf is fatted. Let no one go forth hungry. Let all partake of the feast of faith. Receive the riches of his goodness. Let no one lament their poverty, for the universal kingdom has been revealed. And let no one mourn their transgressions, for pardon has dawned from the grave. Let no one fear death, for the Savior's death has set us free. He has taken by death and has annihilated death. He descended into the grave and he took the grave captive. And the grave is now embittered embittered because it tasted his flesh. And anticipating this, Isaiah in 14.9 says, the grave, or Hades, was embittered when it encountered thee in the lower regions. And here I love this metaphor because what John Chrysostom is trying to do here is he's, he's playing on this notion that the grave, that death itself wanted to swallow up our hope. But death could not win. And so The grave, death itself, is kind of bummed, which I like that idea. You like that idea? That's a nice idea. That death is kind of disappointed. It's kind of put out. Hey, we were winning, but then Jesus came. We got him, and then we lost him. And so this part of the sermon needs audience participation. So we're going to do a little call and response. Okay? Uh, in order to respond, you can't respond sitting. Yeah, okay. There you go. I figured that was clear enough, but it wasn't. That's okay. Sorry. The grave wanted our Lord. It wanted our Lord because in defeating our Lord, it could then have all of us too. And uh, it's now upset. It's raging even. And so... We are mocking death this morning. Making fun of the one who thought could defeat us, but now has himself been defeated. So, the bold is you, and the not bold is me. Make sense? But I've been to too many Presbyterian churches, okay? I'm just teasing the Presbyterians. If you're a Presbyterian here, don't see me after, I'm sorry. But... We, we can't do this tamely, right? This is victory chant time. Can you do that? All right. The grave was embittered, for it was abolished. That was weak. You can do better. It was embittered, for it was mocked. It was embittered, for it was purged. It was embittered, for it was despoiled. It was embittered. For it was bound in chains. It took a body that came upon God. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took what it saw but crumbled before what it had not seen. O death, where is thy victory? O Hades, where is thy sting? Christ is risen and you are overthrown. I just... We, we that was still weak. Death, our ancient enemy, is overthrown. Let the Jehovah Witnesses hear you, okay? If you, if you have to turn that direction, just we, let's get it. Let's get there. Let's try this again. Christ is risen, and you. you are Christ is risen, and the. the demons are Christ is risen, and the. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. For Christ, being raised from the dead, has become the first fruits of them that have slept. And to him be glory and might and honor and praise for ages and ages and ages. Amen. Amen. And I think we're done. Like I don't have anything more to say. So band, let's 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 do this.